You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's going on, Big Blue View readers and listeners? This is the Chris and Nick Show, and we are here to do a Giants film review of their victory, 38-10 to over the Colts. It seems a little bit trivial after last night, Monday night's situation with DeMar Hamlin, the Bills' six-round pick who suffered what appears to be cardiac arrest and collapsed on the field, a very scary situation that suspended the game. The game was not finished. It was postponed. And now really the only thing we can think about is DeMar Hamlin and his family. And we hope and we pray that he is okay. Chris, that was a, that was a crazy situation last night. Please, everybody, check out DeMar Hamlin's GoFundMe. It's the Chasing M's Foundation. Right now, there is over $4 million that is raised for this young man's for this young man's toy i believe it's a um his mother has a toy drive so it's an excellent excellent cause and we're just thinking of the hamlin family chris what's going on bro yeah uh what's going on is right now we don't really know what's going on except in the broadest senses uh for the folks who somehow don't know Demar Hamlin's 24-year-old starting safety for the Buffalo Bills. He went into cardiac arrest after tackling, I believe it was uh, T. Higgins. It was T. Higgins. Yes, on the in the game with Cincinnati Bills, uh, uh, Cincinnati Bengals on Monday Night Football. He collapsed on the field. The trainers, medical professionals from both teams rushed to the field. They worked on him. They did CPR, uh, used an automatic defibrillator on him. And then he was rushed to the University of Cincinnati Cincinnati Medical Facilities, which is has a level one trauma center and is fortunately two minutes away from the stadium. And right now, he, the only things we know is that he is sedated and in critical condition. Uh, like you said, we are just thinking about praying for Hamlin, his his family, his loved ones, and really all of his teammates. Uh, this was wasn't something I realized, and you know, didn't the, the coin didn't drop until we were kind of putting this show together. That Joe Shane scouted Demar Hamlin. Uh, Brian Dayball coached against him in practice last year, so th- this has to be hitting the Giants' leadership pretty hard as well and you know for myself personally i every time there's an injury on the field i i feel the need to mention it just because so often these guys are it, they're treated almost like characters in a video game or you know numbers on a stat sheet or you know names in a program they're they're almost not human they're larger than life they've got helmets and pads there's kind of a separation between football players and fans. They're on TV. You know, sometimes the, the humanity, their humanity gets lost. And I think the thing we kind of all have to remember is, you know, 
these are men out there, people who are putting their health in the short term and the long term online for our entertainment. And basically every football player is going to get injured at some point. And you just hope that it's something mild, like a torn ACL or a high ankle sprain and not something like this or to spin back a few years, uh, like what happened with Eric Legrand, who is a Rutgers defensive tackle who was paralyzed making a tackle against Army, or Ryan Shazier, who suffered a spinal injury in a game, or uh, Donald Parham last year, the Chargers tight end, or Tua Tungavailoa this year, who suffered severe concussions out there on the field. Like the the, the risk of injury is always there. And yeah, I always want to try to remind people that these are people out there first. We'd be remiss if we did not acknowledge the DeMar Hamlin situation. If anybody can donate to his charity, please uh, spare a few dollars for it. Like I said, they raise a lot of money. It's for a great cause. And we were just hoping that everything with DeMar Hamlin is going to be okay. But we're going to transition. It's probably going to be a, a transition to uh, it's a little bit awkward to talk about this Giants win over the Indianapolis Colts. I got to say, though, Chris, talking about this Giants offense, they were clicking on all cylinders. They were going up against a Colts defense that they're not. The Colts defense isn't as bad as the Colts offense is, but we know they were without Kenny Moore. We know that they were without or they had a couple younger guys in the back end. But I got to say, man, Daniel Jones was cooking. And Mike Kafka was calling one heck of a game. A lot of zone beating type of concepts to attack Gus Bradley's cover three heavy defense. And it just felt like the offense was clicking on all cylinders with basically everything they wanted to do other than the two almost interceptions on the first drive. I mean, the Giants only punted once in this game, Chris, and you had the fumble by Darius Slayton. Like, this is one of the better offensive performances from an efficiency standpoint that we've seen in quite a while from the Giants. Yeah, it really was. And I think for all the praise that Daniel Jones is getting, we uh, we really need to acknowledge the game that Mike Kafka called. It was almost like he was in the huddle with Gus Bradley in this game. It was very, very impressive. It wasn't just that he was exploiting Bradley's tendencies, which we know Mike Kafka loves to do. He is quickly becoming or establishing himself as one of the masters of that in the NFL. But also the way he exploited the injuries on the Colts roster. You had uh, Dallas Flowers starting at the slot instead of in place of Kenny Moore. Uh, Rodney Thomas, rookie safety out of Yale, gets called in when Brandon Fashion goes down with, I believe it was a concussion. And Kafka immediately starts isolating and targeting those guys with the Giants' passing attack. And you could see the impact that having those rookies out in manning significant roles in the back end of the Colts defense had, you know, they were undisciplined. I thought in their zone coverage, they were slow to pick up and pass off players as they went through the, the zone of responsibility, the coverage zones. And I think you could really clearly see flowers and Thomas both uh, thinking and not playing that, I thought was very clear on the Giants' first touchdown when Dallas Flowers just kind of stood there while I believe it was Isaiah Hodgins ran a route on him to get 
the Giants in position and then Flowers and Thomas both just kind of looking at each other, waiting for somebody to come up and cover Richie James while Daniel Jones bought time behind the line of scrimmage. And they were just very, very slow to move into position. And I thought it was really, really smart and an excellent job by Mike Kafka to isolate those weak points and just attack them relentlessly. And it's something that Kafka has been doing against cover three and quarters type of defense where typically the cornerback is aligned seven, eight yards off the line of scrimmage. And one way that I feel like he, and this is okay. This is one thing I love about Mike Kafka, right? Chris it's, he will test things out in, in a game prior to say the week 17 game, he'll see what he likes. And then you'll see it in the next game. You'll see it in the subsequent game. And we've seen that a lot recently, right? Like in week 13, in overtime. The Giants were struggling to do anything offensively in the second half. What do the Giants do? They moved the football in overtime. Unfortunately, it ended in a tie against Washington, but they were just using quick games. So what did we start to see after week 13? A much more quick game, much more 11 personnel. And that's carried over all the way into week 17. Well, in week 16 against the Minnesota Vikings, we saw Mike Kafka start to use stacks releases against quarters defenses where you put Richie James, a stack is you're going to have one guy on the line of scrimmage and one guy off the line of scrimmage, basically right next to him. And against quarters coverage, all you have to do is run both of those individuals, say outside stem just a little bit, right? Like leaning to the outside and then just explode the guy who is off the line of scrimmage back to the inside. And what is that going to do? The defenders who are off are not going to have the ability to really come downhill on that inside breaking route. So if there is no linebacker or the linebacker blitzes, who, who can take that middle hook area, if it is zone coverage, then there's going to be somebody wide open. And guess what? If you go back to that Minnesota game, there were two instances where that happened, one to the field side, one to the boundary side. The boundary side one, which is something that the Giants use so much against the Indianapolis Colts, boundary stacks to attack zone and man coverage. It worked successfully for Kafka. But if you go back to the third and five that was dropped by Richie James, Chris, that was a motioned boundary stack once Richie James got to the stack position, the ball was snapped. Richie James exploded outside behind Darius Slate and then went right back inside. was wide open. It's just Richie James ended up dropping the football. And how many times in this game did you see Mike Kafka call boundary stacks where Daniel Jones read that side of the field, read one defender, and then attacked whatever the defender did not do? That was something that was a huge part of this game plan. And I feel like Kafka just added another wrinkle to his 11 personnel package arsenal. Yes, and... I think the job that Kafka did simplifying things for the Giants offense, just having those quick two receiver route concepts, basically isolating a single defender, that made it, talk about quick game, this was the fastest the Giants offense has played this year. Uh, Daniel Jones's time to throw was just over two and a half seconds. That made it basically impossible for the Colts pass rush to get to him. And that was just off the top of my head. I think that might have been his fastest time to throw by a full quarter of a second this year. And yeah, the, the Giants offense has done a spectacular job of not asking any one player to do too much. Even with their running game, they did a lot to simplify the blocking, simplify the reads for whoever happened to be carrying the ball. They got back to using a lot of 
misdirection in designing their running game and a lot of diversity in divide in designing their running game to pull the Colts defenders out of position, create easy reads for Matt Breida and Saquon Barkley. The orbit motion that you're really talking about, or movement, maybe we should call it because it was after the snap a lot from even pony packages with 21 personnel. You just run Saquon Barkley. Sometimes they did it with Darius Slayton behind the quarterback. It just draws the eyes of the second level defender and makes them hesitate for a split second. Like you had the one play with Daniel Bellinger in the backfield, Chris, acting as a fullback. It was basically like the good old Kyle Shanahan tight end leak play where you're to the boundary and Daniel Bellinger just released like he was going to block. Everyone thought Saquon Barkley had the football and he just ran right past him right in the space. Great throw by Daniel Jones, not to get him killed by Stefan Gilmore and just enough touch over those second level defenders. Little wrinkles like that is something that we saw against Minnesota. And now we're, now we saw it again here against Indianapolis and I'm hoping that Kafka can use it going into the playoffs. But you talked a little bit about the diversity in the rushing attack. Chris, there were a lot of different play designs that we haven't seen all that much of. We saw it maybe a little bit in the earlier parts of the season, like crack toss, which is a play where you just align your wide receivers close to the tackle. You have them block down the end man on the line of scrimmage and then pull your play side tackle and your center into space if he is uncovered, which John Feliciano was. And now you have two lead blockers for your running back. The Giants ran similar type of concepts back against the Titans in week one successfully, and they were blocked up well against the Indianapolis Colts. We also had run tags like Y insert, where Daniel Bellinger is going to insert into the B gap and try to pick up the play side or the backside linebacker. You had wham blocks, which the Colts also ran against the New York Giants. They ran a combination of wham and trap blocks, double it. Well, you had a wham block from Daniel Bellinger to allow Andrew Thomas to climb up to Zaire Franklin and absolutely eliminate Zaire Franklin. Then you had the inside zone and the duo. So this rushing attack, the Giants aren't relying on it like they did in the middle parts of the season and earlier in the season. Now they're relying a little bit more on Daniel Jones and the quick passing attack out of 11 personnel. But the rushing attack is diverse and it's effective despite being run out of 11 personnel. So there's a lot to be, I think, intrigued by with this Mike Kafka offense right now because they are clicking on really every single cylinder. It's not just, okay, let's give the ball to 26 and he's going to do unique things to allow the Giants to kind of squeak out a win. Yeah, now I would say part of the reason why their Giants running game has become effective again might be because of the use of 11 personnel. It really does force opposing defenses into those uh, nickel and dime sub packages, which create better matchups for the Giants when they've got Daniel Bellinger back and they've got guys like Isaiah Hodgins out there who are willing and capable blockers. So that gives you really the numbers advantage running the ball and they're better able to spread defenses out and force them to cover a lot more field and just that much harder to get to the ball carrier. Yeah, the Colts were only in base personnel, I think for six snaps in this game. Like they were primarily in nickel, which puts both of their, I would say, talented linebackers, Zaire Franklin and Bobby Okereke, even though Okereke likes to throw elbows at Daniel Jones's head. They're pretty solid second-level defenders, but the Giants got the best of them in this matchup. And you're right, man. More 11 personnel means lighter packages, and now Saquon Barkley has a little bit more room to operate. And I think the catalyst, and it's kind of it's kind of weird to say this because the offensive line, I don't want to take anything away or devalue them at all. 
but it seems like one of the one of the reasons why this run game has also been rekindled is the return of Daniel Bellinger, man. Like Daniel Bellinger, his ability to just lose slowly enough, as we like to say on this podcast, the old Mike Mayock saying, it really allows the Giants to run effectively out of duo, right? Because you need a strong blocking tight end to run effectively out of duo. And Daniel Bellinger does a good job at that. He does a good job whenever they want to run counter as the as the puller, as the guy who's going to locate the most dangerous man in the hole. And whenever they, they want to use him on these wham blocks, like he wham blocked Grover Stewart, who knew the wham was coming, and he was able to hold up enough to allow Saquon Barkley to jump cut around him. So really, Daniel Bellinger to me is, is a key part of this New York Giants offense, which is crazy because usually rookie tight ends don't have that big of an impact on the game in their first year. No, but the Giants have done a very good job of bringing Bellinger along, you know, putting a little bit more on his plate every single week. And again, it's just another mark of how good this coaching staff is and how well they are developing the entire team. It's it's great, man. I'm I'm excited for the Giants offense. Hopefully they can do it against opponents that aren't the Colts in Minnesota. I think that's one thing we still need to kind of keep in our mind. But they are clicking and they seem like they are a much more cohesive unit. But Chris, do you have anything else on the offense before we transition to the defense? Yeah, just one thing I did notice in this game, and notice it particularly on the all twenty-two, the end zone view. And that is how well the Giants offensive linemen are uh, we'll say pushing the envelope <laughs> with respect to uh things like holding. Yeah, there. It is kind of the sort of thing that nobody ever really talks about, but being able to stretch the rules and not get caught is one of the things that has separated some of the best players in NFL history from their peers. You have guys like Deion Sanders, Darrell Revis, Richard Sherman, uh, just some of the, the best linemen, the best linebackers, tackles. All these guys know how to position themselves so that the officials can't exactly see if they pushed off or if they held or somehow impeded their opponent. And I have noticed, I noticed the giants doing that very well in this game in particular, uh, back-to-back plays on their opening drive had, you know, John Feliciano just very subtly grab a defender's arm and pull him down and back as Daniel Jones scrambled. And then on the next play had, uh, Oh, no, I'm sorry. The The first play was on a Saquon Barkley run. The next play, Andrew Thomas uh, kind of grabbed and turned, I believe it was Ben Banigue, as Daniel Jones pulled the ball down and scrambled. Neither of these were flagged. I, w- I definitely would not say they are dirty plays. I would say they are kind of, um, we'll say veteran moves out there, kind of similar to a, a veteran wide receiver, just, you know, kind of given that little... Uh, Little little short wing move to create just a little bit of separation between himself and the defensive back, and I get I think that's just another another sign of how the Giants' coaching staff is developing these players. Yeah, you know, we we have seen it in some of the best units. The, most recently, the Seattle Seahawks secondary, who they held every single snap. And they did it well enough. They almost never got called. 
Yeah, I mean, that's a big part of the game. Everyone knows that holding happens on basically every single freaking play. It's just don't do it egregious enough to draw the laundry. And the Giants did not do it really too egregious enough to draw many flags. You had a couple, obviously, like Nick Gates had that holding penalty, I believe, in the game. But regardless of the fact, before we actually transition to the defense, I also wanted to bring up Evan Neal. It's important, right? This is a top 10 pick. He was the seventh overall draft pick in this past draft. He's kind of had a rocky first year. I wouldn't say it was as bad as 2020 for Andrew Thomas, but he's also been injured and and there were just a lot of issues surrounding, I would say, his transition to the NFL, which I feel like the issues that he's having were also stuff that we saw back in college, we just hope would be rectified. But I want to bring Evan Neal up because he had his best game of the season. Like He was really good in this game as a run blocker. He had a couple pancakes. I believe he had three pancakes in this game. Him and Glowinski were really, really good on those combo block situations, getting hip to hip, driving vertically, vertically displacing the defensive lineman whenever the Giants did run duo. And then pass protection, man. He got beat around the edge a couple times, but it was in the situations where Daniel Jones could step up into the pocket and it was okay. But bro, he looked a lot more confident in this game. His hips were a little bit more disciplined. His timing with his punch was much more crisp. And I kind of wanted to just tip my cap to him because he was going up against Quiddy Pay, who was, I would say, a solid NFL player. I haven't really followed his career since he was drafted in the first round out of Michigan. But I was just really, really happy with what, what I was able to see from from Evan Neal in this game. And I'm hoping that he can carry that into the playoffs. Yeah, definitely. This probably was his best game. And that's something we have been talking about since week one. He is a rookie tackle. There's going to be ups, there's going to be downs, and there's going to be development just over the course of this year, next year, and so on down the line. I think it's great to see him have his best game in week 17. Hopefully he doesn't take a step back. Hopefully, you know, Giants are going up against a good Saints defense, even without Josh Sweat, who he suffered a scary injury this week, last week as well. And Mm -hmm. yeah, we'll just have to wait and see what happens with Evan Neal over the course of the offseason and through next year's training camp, but at least right now, it looks like the arrow is most definitely pointing up. Let's hope. But before we get to the defense, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors here at SB Nation. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. All right, Chris, let's start with this defense. Look, they were going up against 
a Colts offense that had Nick Foles as its starter, coming off of a three-interception, seven-sack game. He ends up getting knocked out after being sacked by Kayvon Thibodeau, and I think that's where we should start this conversation. We just discussed Evan Neal before the break. Now let's talk about Kayvon Thibodeau because his presence was felt early and often in this game. On the first play of the game, he just split a double-wide set of Mo Alley-Cox and um, I think it was Jelani Woods to get a tackle for a loss, a loss of three yards against Zach Moss. He had the sack, which was unblocked on a on a well-designed blitz package from Wink Martindale. And it's just every week we're talking about number five out there, man. Kayvon Thibodeau is just seems like the real deal. Yes. And, you know, we tipped our cap to Mike Kafka in the first half of the show. I think we have to tip our cap to Wink Martindale right now for how well he is designing those blitzes and how frequently he is getting Kayvon Thibodeau free runs into the backfield. Like, I don't quite know what was up at some points with the Colts blocking scheme. I mean, it, it's clear they with whatever they were doing, they were not doing it well. Uh, <laughs> they're, for the most part, their blocking was kind it was bad. Like, just no two ways about it. It, it was bad bad uh but like you said they had the first play of the game they tried to i don't kind of sort of double team thibodeau but he was on the i believe it was the the backside so i'm not sure if it was just like a chip and release down the line uh type block with somebody just didn't pick up the backside pursuit if it was that kind of a breakdown or if Thibodeau just reacted to so quickly to the first snap of the game that those tight ends didn't even have a chance to get, lay a hand on him. He almost looked unblocked on that play. Uh, the very next play, I believe he was <laughs> unblocked and quite a bit on those first two drives, he was in the backfield and the Colts really never laid a hand on him. Sometimes he was completely unblocked. He was more or less ignored by their blocking scheme. And that's something we do see week in, week out, where Thibodeau is in the backfield making plays. And because of his alignment, the opponent's blocking scheme, and how Martindale is designing his plays, designing the defensive plays, the blitzes, the simulated pressures, all those things... Thibodeau is just getting into backfields almost completely unblocked on a regular basis. And that was a really beautifully designed, I would say, boundary cornerback fire zone blitz. Fire zone means there's going to be guys who are going to drop off the line of scrimmage and there's going to be five men coming on the pressure. Actually, now that I look at it, yeah, it was five men on the pressure and it was two guys who were unblocked. Like Bernard Raymond, Ryman, he had to take the number 21, Landon Collins, who was going through the B-gap, right? So he had to close down on that as the Giants slid Leonard Williams and Jihad Ward. O'Shane Zemin has dropped off in the coverage. He had to be accounted for on the three-by-one set. And then literally Nick McLeod and Kayvon Thibodeau were just unblocked. And obviously the Snow Angel, I don't know if you want to call it a controversy or, or whatever. I, I don't think Kayvon Thibodeau was aware of the fact that Nick Foles was writhing in pain next to him. He was just celebrating. I'm not going to sit here and kill the kid for for celebrating with, with a Snow Angel sack, although Jeff Saturday had a had some choice words for Mr. Rookie Kayvon Thibodeau. Yeah, as did Ryan Kelly. As I said, just in the the context of, you know, just everything that has gone on, yeah, you know, that that 
sack celebration feels like you know it, it it seemed kind of unnecessary in the moment it feels like it, in very poor taste especially considering just how it looked at the time i don't think mm-hmm. anyone here can say what thibodeau knew what he didn't know if he saw foals and was just caught up in the moment and didn't realize that he was really in pain and you know really injured out there i nobody knows uh it just hopefully this is kind of a learning experience for him but it is really impressive how quickly Thibodeau is coming along both in run defense and as a pass rusher even if the the stats aren't quite there yet he is a problem for opposing offenses particularly in this scheme Absolutely. Particularly in this scheme, I think it's a great scheme for him. And then I think we should talk about Landon Collins. Like, look, we can look at snap counts and things of that nature, but this game was over basically at halftime. So the Giants were going to get some back end guys on the football field a little bit more than maybe usual. But Landon Collins had a almost, I don't want to say game ceiling because it was an entire half to play, but Nick Foles threw a yeah, pick It was game ceiling. We can Collins. say that. We can say that. It was game <laughs> Against ceiling. the Colts, it's... Against the Colts, it certainly seemed like it, but I I just think it's almost poetic justice for Landon Collins, right? Somebody who was an all-pro here with the New York Giants. Giants decided not to sign him. The previous regime did not want to allocate basically a safety-setting, market-setting type of contract to a safety. So he ended up going to Washington towards Achilles, I think, there, right? I believe it was an Achilles injury. You know, had had a few solid seasons, but kind of toiled away. Everyone was like, "Ah, man, he's old at this point. He's probably done." He comes back to the Giants, man, and just kind of is on the practice squad for a while. Finally, gets his number called, and look how important he is to this defense right now. We know this defense wants to run quarter, and again, in this game, since the Colts were in throwing type of situations, although they wanted to run the football a lot, just get out of there. They ran quarter package, which is seven defensive backs on the football field, thirty-two percent of the time. It's one of the highest of the season. The only game which was higher was against Jacksonville and you look at Landon Collins man who is a better quarters linebacker than Landon Collins right like especially a guy who is that at this point of his career and you were able to get him and put him on your practice squad like he has true linebacker type of traits even though he's a defensive back but you can put him out there and he could still make the plays like he made on Sunday with that pick six so I really just appreciate the fact that the Giants have players like Landon Collins and even Tony Jefferson, who we don't really talk about too much, but they can come in here and they know the scheme and they are not true liabilities in run support. I think the Giants have a a very solid quarter package, especially once they get a Dory Jackson back and you can put Fabian Moreau back to being the number two and then Nick McLeod being the number three. And then they can kind of mix and match depending on, on the receivers that they're going up against. Yeah, this really was a a vintage Landon Collins game, and yeah, I I think there there are some quarters, um, safety linebacker type guys, yeah, you know, but I'm not sure there has been a better one since I don't know Cam Chancellor. Yeah, he oh. Collins is really in that mold as a player. He's not a guy you want running down the field in coverage, like. He has never been that guy, even at his the absolute height of his career. You know, 2016, which was a historic season for a safety. You still didn't want him running down the field in man coverage. He that just is not him. That's not his game. But when you can get him playing downfield, playing fast, using his football IQ and instincts, he will make plays for you. 
He absolutely will. And one other note, Aziz Ojolari only played seven snaps in this game. I'm not reading too far into this. They didn't need Aziz Ojolari in this game. I'm hoping that the Giants might consider giving guys like Leonard Williams and Aziz Ojolari a break in week 18. I want the Giants to compete. I'm not on the team. Let's just sit our guys because the Giants already locked up the sixth seed. But your injured guys, I'm, I'm for sitting, and that would include both Leonard Williams and Aziz Ojolari, and then also just Dexter Lawrence, bro. Like, I, guy played 39 snaps in this game. Probably didn't need to even play that much, but he's just mm-hmm. everywhere. This guy is such a load to block. He was making plays like outside the numbers in the run game on halfback stretch and halfback tosses and things of that nature. And then he also had three pressures in this game, splitting double teams. It's just, it, it's incredible what this young man has been able to do in this season when thankfully the Giants picked up his fifth year option. Yeah, definitely. And I, I just looking ahead, I fully expect him to get signed to a contract extension. Uh, a, he he has earned it. B, if he keeps playing at this level, he's only going to get more expensive. And C, the Giants do have a Philadelphia Eagles executive in their front office now. And what do the Eagles do better than anyone? They pay now, so they do not pay more later. That is how they have been able to sustain their roster and really manage the the salary cap while keeping their best players in-house. Yes, they will sign guys to a big contract now when they could have them cost-controlled for another two years. However, they also know that you give a guy two more years to get better and what might be $15 million a year might turn into $22 million a year. So yeah, you're paying out a little bit more now, but the salary cap's going to keep going up and if you can lock in a future deal now, you absolutely do it. And I think, well, I should say hope, at least, the Giants will adopt that wisdom. As do I. And we'll have to wait and see. But Chris, do you have anything else on the defense before we get out of here? Nope. I th- I think the defense played excellently. Uh, the Colts really didn't do a whole hell of a lot to test them. Uh their running game, I think, got a little bit more traction than I think we would have liked to have seen. Zach Moss had a few more, uh, maybe not chunk yards, but nice runs than the Giants probably should have given up to him, just considering how not good the Colts' offensive line has been. But man, their their quarterback situation is bad, and it is honestly amazing to me how... The Colts shut themselves down. Like the Giants' defense played well, but the Colts, as soon as they had success, it was almost like they were terrified of winning and went completely hyper conservative and stopped trying to advance the ball. Yeah, I mean the Colts—they're—they're they're an issue. They're an issue, but this is the end of the season. They have a re- interim head coach at the moment in Jeff Saturday, and. They're just looking to see what draft pick they're going to have and turning the page the next season as the New York Giants fans are quite familiar with over the last couple of years. But thank you everyone for tuning in to the Chris and Nick show here on Big Blue View Radio. Please head on over to the website, bigblueview.com. Check out all of our written content on the team and also keep DeMar Hamlin's family and, and, and obviously the young man himself in your thoughts and your prayers because he... You might need it right now, you know, and also please, if, if you can go to the GoFundMe, the Chasing M's Foundation Community Toy Drive and uh, donate if you can, that is, of course. And thank you for tuning into the show. Take care, everyone, and have a lovely one. 
more to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Claude 3 from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point of the price performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skill and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high volume, high speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic. Anthropic.